His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. listening to his and hers horror my name is tia and i'm david and this week we're talking music mm, yes it's like movies but no dialogue or video well okay so <laughs> <laughs> but it but it's an integral piece to setting the tone mood it is. and feeling it is it's very important because i feel like as much as a a bad score can negatively affect an otherwise good movie in the same way that a really good score can kind of amp up a movie that's not so great, in mm-hmm. my opinion, at least. Sure. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but I used to play the clarinet. Mm-hmm. I played it from the age of about 10 until I was about 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. Basically played it through like middle school, junior high high school, that kind of thing. I never played like professionally or anything. I wasn't that good. Mm. (laughs) But as a result of that, and also my dad making sure that my sister and I were educated in different types of music, Mm -hmm. music is one of the things that I kind of pick up on just inherently when I'm watching like a film or TV show. I know when we did, um, I think it was our last episode was Remake Redux for yeah. Fright Night. I was talking about the remake and I like instantly the movies just started and instantly I'm like, who scored this? Because this is amazing. Right. So there are some composers that tend to typically do horror or that have scored. They've written like the quintessential or one of the quintessential horror themes. Oh, Absolutely. And I wanted to use this episode as an opportunity to talk about horror film scores and themes. Sure. Um, specifically when looking at like the, the people who compose them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Unfortunately, because of the way that this, this works, I can't actually play any of the music <laughs> because um, licensing restrictions and stuff like that. I think you can use like up to 30 seconds, but it would be so difficult to find out that, that one piece. Right. To fig- And to figure it out, to finagle it. Um, I might just post like the list of stuff that we mentioned or that stuff that we picked out. Cool. I don't know. Maybe there's a way to make a Spotify playlist. I don't know. I'll figure something out. Yeah. So, so that you can try yeah. it on for size. Exactly. Okay. Use it for your haunted house playlist. There you go. Well, I have every year since I was 12 or 13, I think, every Halloween, I make a Halloween playlist. Mm. And it was a few years ago that I started actually adding like more niche horror themed scores and stuff to that. Part of that is because Vitamin String Quartet has an album that is string quartet rearrangements of themes. Right. So it just it it. it I don't know. It's it's easier listening, if that makes any weird sense. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. But I also have kind of tried, started branching out a little bit. So obviously there are some standards that we're going to talk about. Oh, yeah. But one thing I kind of discovered in, in researching this episode is that some of the composers who did some of the most well-known themes in horror, for most of them, that was the only horror film they ever did. Hmm. Yeah. Or like they did other stuff that was part of that same franchise, but that was basically it. Right. Which gives me a chance to kind of dive into some newer composers and maybe other composers that people may not be as familiar with. Sure. So the first person I want to talk about started scoring their own films out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that would be director John Carpenter. Yes. I think Halloween, when it first was done, didn't have a score, really. And I think one of the producers was like, oh, it needs something. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, then John Carpenter kind of put together these themes. There's the quintessential Halloween theme that everyone thinks of when they think of Halloween. Mm -hmm. But then there's also a piece that's called Lori's theme. I've got that on my list. You do? Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice list. Or it's a nice list, too, but. Yeah. But it's the it's the basically it's the incidental music that plays when Lori is just kind of like walking around investigating 
things. It's not necessarily, um, it's not the piece that everyone thinks of when they think of Halloween. Right. Now, some of John Carpenter's other work. Mm, yes. Prince of Darkness has a really good theme, but one of my absolute favorites is the theme for In the Mouth of Madness. Mm. It's got this really great electric guitar. It feels very 90s. Feels kind of Metallica. Well, there's a reason for that. He originally wanted to use Enter Sandman, but he couldn't get the rights. And so he wrote this instead. So that's why it feels very Metallica is because that's what he was going for. Do you have any John Carpenter stuff on it? See, I I have notes. David has a playlist. I have a short (laughs) playlist because basically I just, I found the biggest playlist I could find and say, okay, I'm going to swipe from whatever I can here, but I really only want like the actual stuff. Not like, because like on Spotify, there's like people that remake songs. I wanted the original. I don't, didn't want to cover. Right. Precisely. Uh, let's see, I've got the Halloween theme main title, which is that banger. It's got a nice pace, it's driving, it's tense, It's it feels good. It makes my back do things. It's nice. Well, and it, there, there's that that you get that's very, like, it, stre- it, it kind of, in, like, the back and, like, your lizard brain, it kind of stresses you out. But then along with that, you've got this low, creeping bone... Yeah, um, like like it's steps taking like no matter what it's it's an incessant the shape is walking towards you right there is nothing you're going to do to dissuade that right it's going to keep coming um i've got Lori's theme in here also okay. I, also, I also put the theme from the fog in here that one is good it's very it's a little a little lighter mm-hmm. it's got this like do 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 to it but it it feels to my childhood in horror like something i like, it could have been a track to just my memories of childhood watching horror. Mm-hmm. If that makes any kind of weird sense. Yeah, I can see that. Do you have any other John Carpenter pieces? Actually, I have two other John Carpenter pieces. Yeah, go for that it. That are absolute bangers. I say that with a grain of salt, because when I say something is an absolute banger, it is good to me. Right. Which may not be good to you. Uh, but they're both from the same film. Okay. One is called Chariots of Pumpkins. Okay. And the other is uh, John Carpenter adjacent. It's uh, Tommy Lee Wallace and Alan Hobarth that actually did the Halloween TV commercial. Yeah. For both of those are from Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Yeah. I'll have you listen to the Chariot of Pumpkins thing. It's great. Okay. And he scored scored that? He's listed with it. Oh, all right. So the next person I'm going to name hasn't really done a whole lot of horror stuff. But I want to mention him just because the one horror, the one main horror film he's done is it's just so good. And then there's another thing that I found out when doing research that was actually pretty cool. So let's talk about Philip Glass. Okay. So Philip Glass, I know we've mentioned this before, is the person who scored Candyman. And the music for Candyman is just so simple and so minimalist. You've got organ, piano, and vocals. And that's basically it. And there's the there's the main piece, which is called Cabrini Green, which is basically like the Candyman theme. But I also really love what's called Helen's theme. Mm, Yes. And it's this really light, um, melodic piano piece. It's kind of melancholic also. Mm -hmm. And it just it reminds me of just the camera being on Helen and just that soft focus where it makes her hair look like she's got a halo. Like a glamour shot. Precisely. <laughs> and it's just such a good piece. But I found out something else cool about Philip Glass. So the original 1931 Dracula starring mm-hmm. Bella Lugosi didn't really have a score at the time. They just used like, like at the time you didn't really score films. You just kind of got music that already existed. Right, right. So in 1998, they were going to do a re-release and they asked Philip Glass to write the score. Oh, wow. So there's a 1998 re-release. I don't know if it's available like anywhere anywhere to watch or anything. The soundtrack for it is on Spotify, so I'm sure it's available other places. But yeah, so it's music that Philip Glass wrote to accompany the original Bela Lugosi Dracula film. Cool. It's actually it's not bad. I would love to watch it with the film just to kind of get the feel for it. Because mm-hmm. I, I, it's kind of like I'm having trouble piecing the two together. Yeah. If that makes any weird sense. So the next composer I would like to mention 
we're going to start getting into the ones that people may not necessarily know unless you are like into horror. Mm. But another person that's kind of like a classic has scored some pretty classic horror films is uh, Pino Donaggio. Okay. Uh, he's an Italian composer. He actually works with Brian De Palma a lot. Mm. Um, in addition to scoring The Howling and Don't Look Now, which are not De Palma films, but they are other horror films, uh, he scored Carrie. Oh, all right. And two of the pieces that are from Carrie that I've picked out as like my favorites are uh, The Retribution, mm. which... The good part of Carrie. Right. The playing over the, the gym mm-hmm. massacre and everything. And the second piece is called The Crucifixion, which is also known as For the Last Time We'll Pray, which is basically the finale of Carrie and her mother coming together and Margaret stabbing Carrie and then Carrie like crucifying her mom against the wall with all the knives. Yeah, yeah, that's... uh... They have a very 70s feel, which obviously... That makes sense. Right. And I think Pino Donaggio worked... uh, I think he also did a lot of like Giallo films. Mm. So they have like a similar flavor to that kind of stuff, with the exception of like Dario Argento tended to use Goblin for a lot of his things. <laughs> so like, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Oh, really? Do you have Goblin on your list? Absolutely, I do. They scored quite a bit of Argento stuff. Well, and there's also an interesting thing that they scored that is not technically Argento. So I don't think I have it on my list. Let me check. Here I am ordering off menu again. I'm sorry. Okay. So, George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead film. Mm-hmm. There are two cuts of the film, if I'm remembering correctly, or at least when it was initially released. Right. So, there was the American release, which George Romero just he basically used, like, stock music right. for. And um, Dario Argento, along with a couple other people, agreed to co-finance the film in exchange for exclusive distribution rights in the international markets. Fair. And so the international release of the film is scored by Goblin. Nice. Yeah. I love it. It actually has this really great... Oh, shit. What is the name of it? Hold on. I just want to see the name of it. Okay. So it's called... Uh, and I apologize if I'm butchering the Italian. La Alba dei Morti Viventi. Okay. And it's basically like the opening theme to Dawn of the Dead. And it's just so good. But like Goblin also did Suspiria. They're, what do you have from Goblin? Oh, you, have, you just have Suspiria? Yeah. It's Suspiria is so good. It, it, it's a great track. We may have to do... I know Dario Argento is on our list to do for a director spotlight at some point. Because I don't think we've done them already. I mean, we covered them a bit in Giallo. Giallo, because... Yeah, of course we did. So next I want to talk about one of my favorite new composers. And I know we share a, a love of this guy. Mm. Uh, and that's Michael Abels. Oh my god, yes. He has scored... All three of Jordan Peele's films, like mm-hmm. horror films so far. Uh, we haven't seen Nope yet, so I, have, I didn't include anything from that on my list. But I have two pieces from Get Out and two pieces from Us. They're probably the two I have on my regular, like, just listening to at work playlist. Well, I don't know, because I didn't go with the prologue from Get Out, because mm. it's so short. Fair. I do have Sikaliza uh, Kuawahenga. Okay. Which yeah. is the which is the main I would call the main theme that has the uh, that great the the Swahili I believe it is. Mm-hmm. The other one I picked is called the auction. Oh yeah, yeah that's a uh, that's a good piece. And it's the it's the piece that's playing while the obviously while the auction is going on at the Armitage home and there's no the family's not talking the people aren't talking there's just this steady stream of music but underlying the music there's this ticking. Mm-hmm. And it's very reminiscent of like a clock or a timer, metronome kind of thing. It's a, it's a very light ticking, almost as if to say Chris is running out of time. Yeah. And I love, I want to say it's Hans Zimmer did a similar thing when he scored Dunkirk. But if you've, if you've seen Dunkirk, there's a similar like ticking, like a tick, 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 that it also kind of ramps up the tension in a very subtle way. And I love when composers do something like that, when they throw in something that you wouldn't necessarily think to add to a piece of composed music. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for us, the two pieces I picked are Pas de Deux, which I think is probably one you have. Yeah. Which is the ending, like the fight between 
Adelaide in red. Mm-hmm. Yep. The other piece I picked is Femme Fatale. Oh, I picked Anthem. Really? Mm-hmm. Anthem is good. I like Femme Fatale. Femme Fatale is the piece that plays when um, Elizabeth Moss, her tethered, is like sitting in front of the mirror and like doing makeup and making these weird faces. Right. So it starts with this very like 60s, like late 50s, early 60s, getting ready for like a date kind of music that you might see in like a comedy or a romance. But then when she kind of sees the kids coming in and everything starts to pop off, it kind of slides very delicately into this more menacing theme. Mm. And I just really, I like when you get something that is incongruous. Yeah. there It's it's just, it. I don't know. I love it somehow for some reason. I don't know. Did you have any other pieces for, of his? No. Okay. So one of my favorite newer composers mm-hmm. is uh, Bear McCreary. I mean, is he really that new? I mean, I would new. I'm, n- I'm not saying he's old hat. I'm just no, saying. No, I'm just saying like in the in the grand scope of film composers, like the ones I've mentioned so far, other than Michael Abel's, like these are movies from the, you know, the 70s and the 90s, whereas Bear McCreary, we're looking at like the like the 2010s mm. is yeah. some of his more well-known stuff so bear mccreary he he does film scores and he also has done stuff for television mm-hmm. uh he's also scored video games which you can super tell like oh, yeah. when you're listening to some of his film score stuff i'm just like you can tell this guy scores video games too like uh i In know all the best ways possible oh yeah like the new god of war mm-hmm. like i wish we like i kind of want to i kind of wish i had a playstation so i could play the new god of war because his music is so good what ragnarok or or the uh 2018 i think okay, yeah i'm sure he also did ragnarok i wouldn't be surprised checking it okay yep yeah okay i figured he did so bear mccreary in addition to scoring lots of video games he scores uh he scored the walking dead so that great like violin theme that's him and he scored godzilla king of the monsters mm-hmm. and there is this great revised composition of uh, Godzilla, which was originally Blue Oyster Cult, mm-hmm. but it's there's a revised composition that he did that features Serge Tankian mm-hmm. from System of a Down. Yeah, that is so good. It's like one of my favorite. Like as good as the Blue Oyster Cult version is, I love this one just because that there's just a driving. I don't know. There's something about it that it just goes hard that I really love. But uh, some of the score pieces that he's done that I really enjoy. I have three. Okay. So Happy Death Day, if you haven't seen it, it's it's so good. Absolutely. Christopher Landon is one of my favorite new horror directors. Like to the point where I've heard he's remaking Arachnophobia. And it's so hard. Like I'm trying to weigh like my love for his work over my abject terror of spiders. <laughs> To just decide, like, will I want to watch this movie? I don't know. This may be a uh, all my like feet pulled up off the floor. Have David watch it with me so he can tell me when not to look kind of deals. What? As you wish. What? I don't like spiders. They scare the shit out of me. They move too fast and they have far too many legs. It's freaky. It's weird. I don't like them. I have tried on multiple occasions to watch like the OG arachnophobia and as a Missouri native, I love and stand John Goodman. I can't watch it. I've tried. But Happy Death Day. Mm. There is a, a piece called The Bell Tower. Mm, yeah. That has this great energy to it. And there's this, it's like, it's, you could tell it's a chase. Right. Uh, and then Freaky, which that film does not get enough love. I need everyone to go watch. If you haven't watched Freaky, why not? It's yeah. so good. There's a piece that is from the beginning. The, the main opening credits theme is really good. But there is a piece called The Killing Starts that has a similar, like, frantic being chased by a killer energy mm-hmm. that I just absolutely adore when yeah. it comes to stuff like this. And, and like I said, it, it is very reminiscent of, like, an action set piece in a video game, like, uh, not necessarily like an open world, but something more linear. Yeah. So like a uh, your God of War, some of the Tomb Raider stuff, 
Some of the early Assassin's Creed stuff. Early Assassin's Creed stuff. Uh, um, uh, uh, Nathan like Drake. Uncharted. Uncharted. Yeah. Yes. The a lot of stuff that would be like considered like PlayStation exclusives. Yeah. It has that very like action set piece driving theme to it. What? Doing everything I can to just say nice things. Because you're not a fan of QTEs. Oh, you haven't read the news. Oh. Okay. Uh, so the next composer I want to talk about is um, Marco Beltrami. Uh-huh. Oh, you have some of his stuff, too? Of course. This is like playing bingo. Okay, so now I'm curious what you have. I'm going to let you go first on this one. I thought I did. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> You're like, never mind. Who's um, Marco? So he worked with uh, Wes Craven quite mm. a bit. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Particularly in the Scream franchise. Uh, so he is responsible for the piece that is, it's called Sydney's Lament. Mm-hmm. On the album that I was able to find. Yes. I, I listened to it and then moved on with my life. Yeah. Uh, another piece is, that I really enjoy that's from the Scream franchise is from Scream 2. It's called Cassandra Reprise, mm. which is from the uh, stage play that Sydney is in. Right. And I really like that. Now, where I feel like he really shines is in the Fear Street trilogy. Mm, okay, yeah. Which I is probably that. why his name sounded familiar to you, because we talked about him when we did our TBD awards a lot. I've, I've got him in my notes, just not for this episode. Yeah. Now, he did co-compose with several people, but I have three different pieces, one from each episode. So I liked the main titles from one. Mm-hmm. From part two, there's a piece called Tommy Turns, which is oh, when... yeah. yeah and honestly, I am a sucker for anything that has, like, whispered chanting. Yeah. I don't know why. I just really enjoy it. And then from part three, there's a piece from early on that's called Reflection mm. that just feels very, it feels very old timey. And that was a great thing about the Fear Street trilogy that I know we talked about before, is that not just the soundtrack, but the score was very reminiscent of the year that in which it took place. It felt right. For the time period for each episode. I'm starting to get into my more random people now. Oh, good. Because that's all I have. (laughs) Okay. So another composer who hasn't really done a lot outside of like one or two particular franchises when it comes to horror is uh, Charlie Clouser. Nope. I don't have any Charlie Clouser. You don't? Oh, my God. Okay. Educate. Oh, I do. Did he do Dead Silence? He did. All right. He did. He's worked with James Wan a couple times. So he did Dead Silence, yay! from which the main titles in general are just really good. Mm-hmm. But there's another piece called Guignon that I also really enjoy. Which is a reference to the Grand Guignon, which we talked about in... in like our very first like our very first episode, basically. Uh... We talked about it in our Slashers episode, which yes. was the first episode, official episode after the, our introduction to us. Really? Yeah. I thought it was no, man. more recent than that, like fourth or fifth... Mm -mm, That was episode two, motherfucker. Nice. I know. We've been doing this for a very long time. (laughs) Yay. Anyway, but he also scored, uh, he has scored since the beginning, the Saw franchise. Yeah. So there is, in the first Saw film, there is like a piece That begins towards the end. It's basically when the finale, like when the twist starts to happen. That on the original film is called Hello Zep. And that theme is, it's kind of a recurring theme throughout all of the films. It's the, it's the, uh, it's essentially like the deus ex machina piece. Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, so it's been like kind of rearranged several times to fit different iterations of the uh, different themes and different films. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the versions of it that I particularly like is from the seventh film, Saw 3D. It's called The Final Zep. Yes. Which, granted, it ended up not being The Final Zep, but still. It goes a little bit harder than previous iterations have gone because we are getting revelations that have been building up for six and a half films at this point right right so you know years in the making just for this twist to happen right exactly you need something kind of epic to flourish that right exactly there's two other pieces that i that i like and they're both from four 
One is called Bed Ripper. Mm-hmm. Is and that the, what happens after you're a bedwetter? Is your bed ripper? No, that is where um, you fart in bed. No. Okay, I I got nothing. Going Are for you? It. I was like, uh, yes. Any more guesses? No. So Saw Four is the one that features SWAT Lieutenant Rig. Mm-hmm. His whole thing is you can't save everybody. The, you can't save everybody. Sometimes you have to let people save themselves. Right. And not everybody deserves to be saved. So his whole thing is this setup from Jigsaw that starts out with the lady with the the hair. lady with the hair caught in the trap. Well, Bed Ripper is the guy in the hotel who is a voyeur and has already been in prison once for sexual assault, mm-hmm. and he's the one who has to blind himself or have his limbs ripped off. That's Bed Ripper. And there's another piece from that same film that I th- I think it's called School Days. Yeah, that where- sounds right. That's with the rebar. Yes, where the it's the woman who is impaled to her abuser, and she has to rip out the bars. And the and it'll kill him, but she'll be fine. Yeah, because it's going through his vital organs, but none of hers. It, it like bypasses her. It it's really cleverly done because it is. it's at angles. Yeah, it's very it's very smart. It was like the ultimate nod to Tyrone. Yeah. What? Oh God damn it! Fucking Guy Ritchie reference, motherfucker. I this swear had a to funny God. angle. It's directly it's behind two you. Two feet from you, Tyra. I said it was at a funny angle. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Look, Snatch. It, it, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Yes, I just didn't. It's got good music. It does. You are Not also horror. correct. You are. That is true. Also, there's one composer I want to mention. He only ever did like one horror film, but that is basically because uh, unfortunately he died very young. So his name, and I'm going to try not to butcher it. He was a he was a Polish composer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's Krzysztof Komeda. Okay, he is the man who composed uh, Rosemary's Baby. Okay, yeah. So I guess in uh, in 1968 he was at a party, and Roman Polanski says it was like a, a like a friendly like like pushing and shoving back and forth, but I couldn't find anything else that said. But Christoph was pushed basically down this rock face by a writer and sustained like some really bad head injuries. Oh, shit. And ended up dying a year later in 1969 while in a coma being taken back to Poland. Wow. So Rosemary's Baby is the only horror film he ever got to score, as far as I'm aware. there He had scored some other things that were in Poland, Mm-hmm. But I, there wasn't anything I was familiar with. Okay. So if anyone has seen Rosemary's Baby, I know Roman Polanski is not a great person. It's very problematic, but you owe it to yourself to watch Rosemary's Baby at least once. It is still a good film. I recognize the book it it's with based an on is great. In. Yeah, David recognized that I was listening to a piece. The piece I was listening to when you were like, "Is that Rosemary's Baby?" is the piece called "What Have You Done to Its Eyes." Yeah, um, in mono. Basically, I had other music playing in one ear, so I was only getting it kind of in mono. Yeah. And from the right channel to my left ear, which is really weird, but that's just how the room was set up. Yeah. What I heard, it sounded like a baby crying in the distance. Yeah. It's the way that the the horn flares, it is very reminiscent of a child's cry. Yeah. But the theme from that called Rosemary's Lullaby is also very good. I actually prefer the string quartet arrangement of mm-hmm. it. It's one of the few instances where I'm not necessarily a fan of the vocals. Yeah. But when it's done by a string quartet, the fluidity of it is really nice. So I have a couple more composers I want to list off that have done some horror stuff, but it's not like, like basically they didn't do much. Okay. Uh, like they did one main thing. Yeah. Or the other stuff I couldn't find. So Joseph Bashara mm. is a newer composer. He also works with James Wan a lot, but it tends to be on the more paranormal stuff. Yes. So the Insidious franchise, the Conjuring films, he's done like, I think all three Conjuring films and Annabelle. The only thing I know he didn't do is he didn't do The Nun. Correct. The Nun was uh, Abel. Or Korzanowski. Yes. Uh, which I haven't seen that movie, but the one piece you had me listen to is a banger. I'll tell you about really it. Really good. The other ones, eh? But this one, I found, yeah. the, I, I found the hit to play on the radio until everyone's sick of it. Yeah, because that's how radio works. But uh, Joseph Bashara, he also is an actor. 
Mm -hmm. So he is the person who basically plays like the lipstick demon and various other like demonic entities in James Wan's films. One other thing I thought was cool is he does a lot of uh, sound design and music producing. Mm. So in addition to doing sound design for John Carpenter, specifically for Ghosts of Mars, he was also a music producer for Repo the Genetic Opera. Nice. Which is one of the few horror musicals, which we will do an episode about horror musicals at some point. Mm -hmm. But he's also worked with Tech Nine. Oh, He's cool. produced two different songs, two different songs for Tech Nine, which may not mean anything to anyone outside of Missouri, but I don't know how much Midwest choppers there are out there. Right. Well, that's the thing is like uh, there are some artists that are really well known in their basic, like in their like demographic area, and because mm-hmm. Tech Nine is from the Midwest, a lot of us know who he is. So we've got a song called "Welcome to the Midwest." So I mean, he actually used to come to my hometown once a year. Nice. I don't know if he does it. I don't think he does anymore. Probably. But not. he used to come every year, and I regret never going to one of his shows. Uh, so next we have uh, Harry Manfredini, mm. who he scored the film House. Yep. Which I couldn't find on Spotify, but he's most well known for scoring Friday the Thirteenth. Yep, you hit one of my bingo card moments. Yep, I'm sh- I was sure I did. So the weird folksy part that I like when mm-hmm. three of when the uh, Kevin Bacon and his two friends are driving to the camp. Yeah, it's called banjo traveling. Banjo traveling. like banjo traveling apostrophe like not traveling traveling. Apparently, the main theme is called overlay of evil hmm. that has the yeah. The piece actually I have is back up to Annie. What is it called? Back up to Annie alone? Yeah, back up to Annie alone. Okay, so that's probably when Annie's hitchhiking towards the beginning. And it's one of those things where, like I said, Friday the 13th, and some of the other people I'm about to also name, they're quintessential, like, these are some of the best horror themes of all time, but it's also basically the only horror theme they ever wrote. That's actually why I don't have John Williams on my list. He wrote one horror theme. Yep, he's on my list. He wrote Jaws. Yep. He wrote one, and that was it. Here's the thing, though. The reason I've got him on my list, he may have only done one horror. But that one is really good. You could go, at least in my experience, granted I didn't try this in every country I've been to, but you could just poorly mimic the tune to Jaws. And people go, oh, Jaws. Yeah. Like, it's instantly recognizable globally. Right. At that point, retire. You, you've 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 hit your apex. Well, and that's like Charlie Bernstein is the same way. Or mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's Bernstein or Bernstein, but he's the composer for A Nightmare on Elm Street, right? And that's another one where like that main theme, it da, like da, 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 da. right. You're like, oh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, which I also was poorly humming the tune to Number One Crush. <laughs> I just realized that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will die for you. Okay. Yeah. No. No, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with that. It was in Romeo and Juliet. I have not seen that movie in easily a decade. Fair. Uh, but one of the other pieces from the OG Nightmare on Elm Street that I really like is uh, Fountain of Blood, mm. which is the uh, the piece that plays over Glenn's death. It's very subtle to start, and that's and then it really starts going. It's really good. Wendy Carlos. Mm who was kind of like a pioneer when it came to synthetic music, not synthetic synth synth music and things of that nature. (laughs) Um, Also transgender. Cool. Yeah. But she scored the shining. Really? Yes. Cool. She's credited. It's credited as being scored by Wendy and uh, Rachel Elkind. Although as far as I could see, Rachel Elkind was mostly a music producer. Okay. So I'm not sure how much she actually helped with the scoring of the shining money. Bought pizza. Who knows? I have no idea. So The Shining, there's, I don't think a real, like, full-on soundtrack was ever really released. Mm-hmm. Not that so I So the only two pieces you can find are the main theme mm-hmm. and a piece that's called Rocky Mountains. Yes. The main theme is the one that's really, it's the one that's got that low, that low horn. Mm-hmm. And it's just the Torrance family driving to the Overlook Hotel piece of that is reused at the end when you see uh, mm-hmm. uh, Jack frozen. Yeah. If I recall. it's It's been a hot minute. And then there's one more person I want to mention who unfortunately I couldn't find any examples of her stuff. And her name was Shirley Walker. 
Okay. She passed away, sadly, in either, it was the either end of 2006 or early 2007 she passed away. And unfortunately, most of her stuff was never released. Hmm. There was no CD was ever made. If there was a CD made, it was a limited release. And it's not so, been put out digitally or anything. No, none of her stuff is available streaming. The mm. only way you can hear it is by watching the movie that she scored. Wow. She scored the first three Final Destination films mm. and Black Christmas, the 2006 version. She also contributed some to the score for uh, Nightbreed. Oh, yay. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, My happy monsters. I know. But like I said, there was no, there's actually, if you go to her IMDb page, there's a chart of the movies that she scored. And on the side, it says whether or not there was a CD and over half of her shit says no CD, no CD, no CD. It was just never released. So and it's just kind of a bummer because like there is for, I think it's the first Final Destination film I saw. There is like some of her score, but there's like audio commentary. So you, you can't just listen to what she wrote, which is, right. I feel like is a shame because now I can't even recall. Like, I wish I I wish I'd had time to go back and watch like the first Final Destination or something to kind of peep some of the music. Yeah. yeah. Maybe pick out a piece. But I've got nothing. Mm. And that kind of that, that bothers me as a music fan. So here's your mission. Watch the first three Final Destination movies. Pick out your favorite piece. Keep, I mean, you don't have brain. to. Yes, you do. Keep it in your brain. Don't give our listeners homework. It's not homework. It's a life goal. There's a difference. What you don't have to don't, turn this in. Homework you have to turn watch in. Final Destination. Well, then that's their choice. But they'll always wonder what her music sounded like. That's fair. <laughs> what? Well, now I added FOMO to the mix. So I'm sure there are some pieces that you have that I did not name. So there are. Go for it. The good news is it won't take me 40 minutes to get through it because I did zero research on any of them except for listening to them and going, yep, that's good. See, if, you wanna the- do more, if you want to do more research on any of these composers, feel free. The internet is out there. See, I went through and I made a list of the composers. I know. And then I like pared it down from there. I know. That looked like a lot of work. It was. And I was it playing took two Skyrim. hours. It took at least two hours. Yeah. And it caused us to rethink our plans for dinner. Right. And it was midway through your research that I realized I needed to do mine. So... You did your research while still playing Skyrim. Yes. Yes, I did. Because I'm... Because I'm just wild like that. Just listening to music and then all of a sudden, oh, hey, there's a dragon. Yeah. So who who have you got that I haven't mentioned? Okay, that you haven't mentioned. Oh, or... I don't know. Well... Do your thing. Abel Korzanowski who did the 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 score for The Nun. Yeah. The specific track that I told Tia to check out, that she was like, it got her seal of approval. Yeah. The title of it is God Ends Here. Mm-hmm. And it seems, you know, pretty standard, but then there's just like this, this depth to it, this weight to it, that it was crunchy. I liked it. Crunchy in a good way. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, Joseph Bashara. Yeah. But you didn't give me a chance to mention my favorite piece of his. Go for it. This is going to really confuse you. Okay. The Crooked Man rhyme. Oh my god, yes! I, I, yeah, no. From The Conjuring 2. Yes. Yeah, because he, he scored that little, like, mm-hmm. music box piece for The Crooked Man. And fucking music boxes and clowns. No, I yeah. don't mess with that. No, that I That is horror music. That is fear music right there. Christopher Young. The name sounds familiar. Sinister. Right. Oh, shit. I forgot to look for him. You're going to have to listen to this track when we finish Which recording. one is it? It's called Sinister. Oh, it's just called Sinister? It's just called Sinister. It's like the theme? It's it's just called... I wonder what else he's done. Hold on. Uh, well, while you do that... What's his name again? Christopher Young. Christopher Young. With a Y? Here, I'll just look up Sinister. Oh, my God. He also scored Hellraiser. That's yeah. why. Okay. Sinister... Hellraiser, Exorcism of Emily Rose, Urban Legend, The Grudge. Like all your favorite movies and some of mine. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. Sorry, now I'm just scrolling through his Wikipedia. Mm. Oh my god, he scored Tales from the Hood. Dark Half, Jennifer 8. And he doesn't just score horror either. He did the core. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I love that movie. Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Pet Cemetery, the 2019 one. Oh, he scored The Empty Man. Mm-hmm. But of all of his pieces, this is the one that hit to my core. Yeah. Abizu. Oh, wait, no. 
What? There's a horror thriller called Ibizu? No. Yeah. Why? It's coming out. Why? It's so is this a sequel? It doesn't seem to be. Uh, okay. Breaking news, everybody. Nope. Has nothing to do with the possession. <laughs> hmm. Well, I can guarantee you there will be one. Anyway. Another one that I, I would feel like an absolute hypocrite if I didn't mention this one. Okay. Steve Jablonski. Shit, that name sounds familiar, too. What did he score? The Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Right. And as much of a hard sell hotel as that is for me, uh, Freddy's Coming For You, it hit on a different, it was like on a different wavelength for me in just listening specifically to the track Freddy's Coming For You. It was almost like someone took your favorite show from childhood and and then showed you a documentary or like a YouTube video on like the dark side behind it and the and the awful grossness behind it. And you're like, oh gosh. He scored a lot of horror remakes because he also did the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Amityville Horror, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning. The Hitcher. The Hitcher, the Friday the 13th remake. So basically he scored my entire childhood being ruined. Yes. Well, because like there's also like Transformers. Oh and- yeah, he works with Michael Bay a lot. Oh, and yeah. Michael Bay's production studio. So, yeah, sorry about it. I mean, look, I'm not going to say it's my entire childhood ruined. It's just, just come up with new things. Like, there there are very few properties left from the 80s that haven't been haven't gotten the remake treatment. And I am terrified of the next one they're going to pick out of the hat because there's only, like, four cards left. Um, and, like, Cops, Brave Star, uh, are they going to do a reboot of Mask? Um <laughs> Uh, they did gem and absolutely wrecked it. I mean, they could really lean into the camp and go go bots. It's true. Anyway, I digress because I've got two more I want to mention. And okay. these are my top two like quintessential horror themes. Yeah. One, most people are not going to know the name Mike Oldfield. Uh, he was composer all the way back into the 70s even. Mike Oldfield is his name. Mike Oldfield. That's Sorry, when you run it together, it sounds like you're saying Mike Goldfield. My Goldfield. My Goldfields. <laughs> Leprechaun 14. My Goldfield. Mike no. Oldfield. Yes, Mike Oldfield. Is his name. He's See, a British composer. You say his name like six times, he appears and comes up with a with, with a, a better tune than this, but I don't believe it. Yeah. So what happened was... Um, <laughs> what happened was... There was a film production in 1972-73 that... I don't have the background on it, but they got rid of their their original composer... And so they pulled this piece basically off the shelf. And it was this uh, kind of, I i don't think in the 70s they were really calling it meditation music yet, but it was like... It was New Age. Yeah, it was... I don't even know if they called it, were calling it New Age yet. It was proto-New Age music. Mm-hmm. A song called Tubular Bells, which surprisingly isn't all bells. Um, but uh, it, it, there are so many covers of it. It was used in 1973's The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. It is the song most synonymously known... Synonymous? No. It's synonymous with The Exorcist. Like, it's, when you think... It's intrinsically tied. Yeah, if you think The Exorcist and then I say music, this is what you're going to think of. Yes. You can't not. Exactly. Um, so that was that was my being tossed in the deep end of the pool for horror when I was a little child and watching it on KTLA. Even though parts of it were edited, it was still the 80s and it was rough. And yeah. I was a small child. Anyway. So the original person who was writing the score was uh, Lalo Sh- uh, Schifrin. Oh, okay. Their original working score was actually rejected by William Friedkin. Okay. Uh, it was reportedly too scary. God, I want to hear that. I know. Is it available somewhere? I don't know. We'll have to find it. But yeah, he apparently had written six minutes of music for the initial film trailer. And audiences were so scared by the combination of sights and sounds that they just like... And he was asked to tone down the music. And apparently, I don't know. Look... This movie had people fainting in theaters. Yeah. Like, for real. And I don't get it. But it also embedded it, like, it. The Exorcist has been, for me, what, like, Scream or other movies is for other people, where it's just part of your DNA a little bit. It was Exorcist Nightmare on Elm Street for me. Yeah. And then a side salad of Friday the 13th, if you will. Chopped salad. So, I have a little bit more information on the on the Exorcist, the okay. music. 
So he used, William Friedkin used modern classical compositions, uh, including portions of pieces by a Polish composer named Christoph Penderecki, a piece by an Austrian composer called Anton Webern, as well as some original music by Jack Nietzsche. Okay. The tubular bells was just kind of picked at random. And that's what for it's the opening for. for the opening theme. And that was it. There apparently uh, in the 2000 release of The Exorcist, which is billed as the version you've never seen. Mm-hmm. That one features original music by uh, Steve Bodecker. Okay. As well as brief source music by Les Baxter. So it's kind of like it's one of those movies where like musically everybody got a hand on the ball. <laughs> It's like, we're looking for the composer for this film. Hey, hey, hey. Apparently, in the soundtrack liner notes for his 1977 film Sorcerer, Mm. William Friedkin said if he had heard the music of Tangerine Dream earlier, then he would have had them score The Exorcist. Uh, Apparently, Tangerine Dream is a German electronic music band. So they're pretty good. Yeah. So that's interesting. (laughs) The more you know. (laughs) <laughs> so you ready for my last one yes go to the last one sorry very well-known composer very well-known john williams no hans zimmer nope alan silvestri austin wintry nobody did just, <laughs> he actually in uh he kind in, of inspired austin wintry and kind of inspired this episode honestly yeah it, it, fair um he because he's got a series he does called you got to hear this at where With, he uh, and, troy baker and troy baker basically just He's like, hey, I, 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 I want you to hear some of this music because it's like no one, no one's heard this. Cause yeah. It's, well, I mean, uh, people have heard it, but it's like who, you know, appreciating stuff that no one pulls out and appreciates. Precisely. It's by Jerry Goldsmith. Is it the Omen? No. This song is just as Tubular Bells is to The Exorcist. This song is to my childhood and my fir- like one of my early crushes. I know one of your early crushes was Nancy Thompson, so. And he didn't score a Nightmare on Elm Street. We just talked about that. It was before Nancy. Okay. Or a crush I had before I had a crush on Nancy. All right, go for it. Who who we got? The Gremlin Rag. Da, 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 Yeah. From Gremlins? From Gremlins. Did you have a crush on Phoebe Cates? Hell yeah, Of I did. course you had a crush on Phoebe Cates. Fucking everybody did. You, you know what sold me on the, my crush on Phoebe Cates? It still stands to this day. Is it Fast Times at Ridgemont High? No, it was her explanation of why she doesn't believe in Christmas anymore. Oh, okay. Just that deadpan delivery, and I'm yeah. like, I hear you. Right. I'm with you. I'm here if you need to talk. I forgot about that, because I was like, there was some stuff I was looking at that I'm like, I don't know if this necessarily counts as a horror score, because like, I was looking, specifically John Williams, I was looking for other stuff, and I was like, is Jurassic Park technically a horror movie? I don't know if it is. Velociraptor ripping ripping stuff up in in Missouri or well, California it's not even my favorite. Here's here's the thing. Yeah, our world as it is right now is not built for dinosaurs. No, dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, Mister DNA. All right. So I think that is going to do it for our discussion of film scores. This episode was originally going to be a little bit more book wild, and then I narrowed it down, and then I narrowed it down again. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, because originally I was going to be talking about a bunch of Christmas music. That's right, because you find Christmas music, Christmas music, you find scary because of Silent Night, Deadly Night. We've had this discussion, I think. Yeah, it imprinted on me as a child, mm-hmm. and now I cannot listen to it when we were in a car, because that just means bad things are going to happen. That makes perfect sense. Eventually, I do want to do episodes on, like, classical composers and, like, music that's used in a horror event that maybe wasn't intended that way. Oh, uh, I know where we're going with that. Yeah, yeah discussions exactly, we've had. <laughs> exactly, we talked right, about this. Yeah. We talked about this yesterday when we were running errands. Coordinating. Exactly. Nice. Uh-huh. Uh, but one thing I would also like to delve into at some point is songs, like horror, horror-y songs, like artists that like have like a gothic vent. It'll be a lot of My Chemical Romance and 30 Seconds to Mars and stuff like that, as well as some Blue Oyster Cult. I'll see your... <laughs> emo emo cheese board my emo charcuterie yes i see your emo charcuterie board and do you do you raise it a spooky crudite i'll give you a spooky crudite that's my favorite thing i've seen on sidebar my favorite thing i've seen online recently is someone tried to be like oh i made this new thing it's a uh vegetable and fruit uh charcuterie board and we were like and there's, so there's all these people that are like, no, that already existed. It's called crudite. Like charcuterie literally translates to like meat board. 
So no, you did not invent anything. And also no. Can you tell we're getting closer and closer to actually making a food podcast? <laughs> Can you tell we're getting closer and closer to having food for reals? Yeah, I'm going to make these. Uh, we're, we're making TikTok noodles. That's what we've come to now. These uh, gochujang TikTok noodles. <sighs> I bought gochujang just to make these noodles. And then we also bought like sambal and a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll see how the noodles turn out. I hope it's good. I really do. I'll be sad if it's not. Anyway, you can find us on our various social media platforms via our website. We are h2horrorcast.com. There's links to our Facebook and our Twitter. Uh, there's also a link to our Patreon. We are patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month. And that goes towards uh, upgrading equipment, uh, buying and renting films when that becomes a necessity because on the on random random chances that it's just not on one of the streaming services that we already have. Yeah, like the latest purchase I just had to make. Yep, that's going to be fun. Buy another piece of my childhood there. Yep. Shout out to our current patrons, uh, Liz, Lizzie, Gray, and Mom. Y'all are awesome and we love you. Yep. If you are unable to be a Patreon supporter, that's totally fine. We got it. You can support us in other ways, like uh, leaving us a review. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Basically, if the way you listen to us has an option to rate and review, if you could do that, that would be awesome. Do it. Just do it. We do not condone the actions of Shia LaBeouf. Anyway. Unless uh, it's positive reinforcement. Sometimes he does some positive reinforcement. He's very problematic lately. Fair. (laughs) Anyway. uh, What else was I going to say? Or you can recommend us to a friend. Yeah. Or a family member. Or a hated enemy. Or a co-worker. Anybody. Recommend us to folks, I guess. I mean, I recommend restaurants to just random people. Like, I'll overhear someone say something like, I don't know what I'm going to have for dinner. I'm like... You should eat at this place. I don't even know if they're open that night. I'm just like, check it out. I did that recently. Uh, there is a uh, there's a Syrian restaurant that's, that is in our town. And I went through the Starbucks drive through and the barista had uh, just moved to town from out of state to go to college. And I'm like, well, if you're looking for a place to eat, try this place. And it was already like on her list of places to try. She just wasn't she just hadn't. You just bumped it up to the top of the I bumped it up to the top of the list by talking up the baba ganoush. Yeah. Baba ganoush is fantastic. The shawarma. Oh, the kibe. Kibe is great. Anyway. Uh, Anyway. Well, yeah. (laughs) That's a different show. Wrong show. Wrong show. Wrong show that we still don't have a name for yet. We'll figure it out. Oh, okay. I do. Okay, cool. Uh, So until next time, I'm Tia. And I'm still David. And stay spooky, friends. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon. <laughs>